Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes in defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 90 is entitled, The Stories of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 8, 16 through 34. We offer a weekly podcast Monday through Friday. Each Friday we discuss the New Testament, King James Version. We are now on Matthew chapter 8, the Sermon on the Mount, just concluded. In podcast 85, we discuss Matthew 8, verses 1 through 15, in which the Savior cured the leper, the centurion's servant, and Peter's mother-in-law. In verses 16 through 34, the miracles continue. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. We always think of Christ as taking away our sins, but it is clear here that not only did he bear our sins, but he also took upon himself our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Why is that important to know? We really don't know all of the miracles that Christ performed, but every miracle recorded has a message for us. It is unlikely that anyone listening to this podcast has been spared from infirmities or sicknesses. Many call upon Christ for his healing powers, and many have witnessed personal miracles in their lives. Christ did not just heal infirmities and sicknesses. He took upon himself our infirmities and our sicknesses, meaning that he suffered every bit as much as we suffer, and that includes headaches and toothaches and cancer and every other ailment. He felt our pain that he may have empathy for us in our anguish. When we cry out to God, he understands. The only way he can have empathy for us is to suffer as we suffer. Whether it is sin or sickness or weakness or temptations or desires or appetites or passions, it is not an easy concept to grasp. For one thing, he was sinless, yet he suffered for our sins. For another, he only lived to about age 33 or 34, meaning he was in the prime of health. Yet he suffered and died for us. The scope of the atonement is as broad as the pain of all humanity. What did Luke mean when he said of Christ in Gethsemane? Luke 22:44, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Christ shed his blood not only on the cross of Calvary, but also in the Garden of Gethsemane. Without Gethsemane, the cross would have been meaningless, for it is there in Gethsemane where his blood spilt on the ground like sweat, and he took upon himself the sins of the world. In Gethsemane, he suffered for our sins. On the cross, he died for our sins, and in the tomb, he was the firstfruits of the resurrection, thus bringing about the resurrection of all mankind. His mission was to bring about our immortality and our eternal life with the Father. Also remember Christ's response when the woman with the issue of blood touched his garments and was immediately healed. Luke 8, 
and a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. Healing the sick was not only spiritual, but it was also temporal. Christ felt power leave his body to heal the unknown woman. The next miracle recorded in Matthew 8 introduces an element comparable to changing water to wine. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? We are reminded in this miracle that Christ had power over the elements, thus reinforcing the fact that Christ is the creator of earth and all that is in it. In Genesis we read, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In John 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We are also reminded that Christ is the God of the Old Testament, as well as the God of the New Testament. I suppose that for the skeptic, all miracles could be explained away by coincidence. There is a logical fallacy referred to as the post hoc fallacy. Its full title is post hoc ergo propter hoc, meaning after the fact, therefore because of the fact. In other words, the skeptic would argue that it was merely a coincidence that the storm ceased right after Christ rebuked the winds and the sea. It takes faith to perform a miracle, and it takes faith to recognize a miracle. To the faithful, it is among his great miracles, and like the apostles, many saints ask, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Indeed, that is a question we should all ask. What manner of man is this? What Christian is not familiar with the following scripture? John 17 These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Whom thou hast sent. So, it is imperative that we all seek the answer to the question, what manner of man is this? Our eternal life depends upon us knowing the answer. We learn about Christ through his titles, through his miracles, through his life, through the four gospels, and through the writings of all of his holy apostles and prophets. Christ is the only perfect model upon whom we should pattern our own life by imitating inasmuch as it is possible his virtues. 
We also have the account of Christ calming the storm in Mark. Mark 4. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I like the added phrases, the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. The ship was about to sink. Some of the apostles were fishermen. They knew the dangers of a violent sea storm. They undoubtedly felt they were going to drown, and yet Christ was sleeping. How many of us, during terrible, turbulent times in our lives, have felt we were about to perish, and felt that Christ was sleeping, or deaf to our cries, and we cry out, Don't you care that I am about to perish? It is a common human cry. Many can relate to the terror of the apostles, for many have been on the brink of destruction. The rebuke is rather startling. Christ appears to show no sympathy. Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? The word faith comes up a lot. We are reminded of the words of Jesus recorded by Isaiah. Isaiah 41.10 Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Christ's words to the violent elements, peace be still, are a reminder to all of us that Christ is the Prince of Peace. And no matter how violent the storm in our lives, or what form it takes, Christ can bring peace to our hearts if we have faith. Another reason, one of the greatest things we can do in this life, is to find the answer to the question, what manner of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. The next miracle performed by Jesus, as recorded in Matthew 8, creates great controversy. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. I love the words of Shylock in Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. He uses this parable to jokingly explain why Jews do not eat pork. Bassanio, if it please you to dine with us, Shylock, yes, to smell pork, to eat of the habitation which your prophet the Nazarite conjured the devil into. I will buy with you, sell with you, talk with you, walk with you, and so following, but I will not eat with you, drink with you, nor pray with you. But what are we to make of the idea that two men were possessed with devils? 
The scene has inspired many silly horror movies of devil possession. I don't think I'd go to Hollywood for any interpretation of the Holy Bible. But there's reason to believe that devils can enter our bodies when invited through evil. John the Revelator records, Revelation 12, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. A few verses earlier, we were told that his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Satan and his legions of angels do not have physical bodies. It appears from the miracle above that they will do anything to inhabit a physical body, even enter into the bodies of swine. Of the two possessed with devils, it appears that their formal evil natures have driven them and so that they have become disconnected with reality. But it also suggests that evil spirits, when invited, can possess our bodies in different degrees. It is possible to so give ourselves over to the enticements of Satan that he takes over our thinking by invitation and influences our behavior to some degree, thus taking away our agency. In other words, it is possible for us to so shut out Christ that we only hear the promptings of Satan and his angels. This can happen without our knowing that we are even under his influence. The scriptures teach us that Christ entices us to do good, and Satan entices us to do evil. That is according to the law of opposites, and necessary for agency to exist. The above story suggests that it is possible to entirely shut out the influence of Christ and of the Holy Ghost, and only listen to the enticements of Satan and his angels. It is in concomitant variation. The more we listen to the enticements of Christ, the more Christ-like we become. Contrarywise, the more we listen to the enticements of Satan, the more Satan-like we become. The scriptures teach us that good and evil are absolute, and there is no such thing as moral relativism. The miracle above teaches us that it is possible to give ourselves so much over to the influence of Satan that we allow Christ to have no place in us. The miracle above, however, teaches a great lesson. Satan has no power over Christ. Thus, Christ is far more powerful than Satan. The evil spirits knew that. When commanded by Christ to leave, they had no choice. It was futile for them to resist, so they asked permission to enter the swine. The effects, however, are astonishing. The swine went mad and dashed over the cliff and drowned in the sea. Even the pigs could not tolerate the evil spirit. For me, the primary lesson of that miracle is that God is the author of all good, and Satan is the author of all evil, and that if we continually choose evil over good, Satan gains more and more power over our thinking our decisions, our views of good and evil, and our behavior. In other words, we can be influenced by Satan and not even know it. We soon confuse good for evil and evil for good. Christ taught, Matthew seven sixteen through 20 Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. 
One gets the impression that the people in that area were fairly wicked because the entire village wanted Jesus to leave. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. They preferred to be without Christ in their lives. We have great cause to be concerned today as we see theism shrinking and atheism growing. Like the villagers, many in our nation are trying to drive Christ out of our country. We're beginning to see increasing and devious attacks against Christianity, against Christians, against absolute values, and against churches as widespread vandalism illustrates. There's an organized effort in our nation to push out Christianity and replace Christian values with moral relativism and a new set of ethics. It is called political correctness. Satan's greatest tool is to get us to call evil good and good evil. As Christians, it is well to remember that Christ is the author of all good, and Satan is the author of all evil. We must consider the words of Christ. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.